morning. Merry, Merry Christmas. If I don't shake your hand this morning, it's not because I don't want to. Um, you might not want to shake my hand. I'm sick. My whole family's sick, so if you pray for us, that we would get better. Very good. <laughs> you don't want to be given that. Uh, you have your Bibles this morning. We're going to continue our look at Second Peter. We're in Second Peter chapter three today, and it worked out pretty well that we're in this passage this morning. As the last few weeks, we've been going through Second Peter. We're celebrating the first advent of Christ coming as a baby. And Peter's going to be talking about the second advent of Christ. So this morning, before we look at God's word, let us uh, take a moment just to pray and seek his face. Father, as we are gathered here this morning, I pray that your spirit's presence would be felt, that he would give us wisdom and guidance as we look at your word this morning. And we thank you for your words that you have given us. We thank you that you have given us a, a glimpse into who you are and your character that is unchanging, the love that you have shown us and continue to show us. So give us ears to hear and give us hearts that would be changed by your word, that it would, would be words of life that would be spoken into our lives and words of life that would be spoken into others' hearts this morning. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So if you're in your, your Bibles this morning, Second Peter chapter 3, Peter is going to give a, a brief summary of what we have been talking about uh, these past few weeks, exactly what he just had told the churches uh, these five churches in Asia Minor, he's going to give them an overview and give more instruction and, and more understanding of what is going to occur in their lives. And so he tells them, starting in verse 1, he says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So Peter reminds them of his purpose again. In the first chapter, he reminded you, I'm telling you these things to stir you up by way of reminder. And he's telling them again here, I'm telling you these things to remind you after we just went through this in chapter 1, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. He told us in 
chapter 1, if you flip back quick, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he talks about who he's writing to in the beginning, those who are of equal standing, those who have the righteousness of Christ applied to their lives, and he gives them this wonderful passage to say that it's his divine power, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, remembering all that the prophets had said, all that our Lord had said through the apostles, all of these very great promises that have come to them, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. It's reminding them of this again, of who they belong to, of who God is, what He has done, and how He has changed their lives. And to remember that the prophetic word that they have received comes not from just simple men. That those promises that He's referring to, the things of the Old Testament that the prophets spoke about, the things that the apostles have been speaking to them about, they are not things that they should take for granted. But that is important. And so it's by way of reminder again that he would tell them this in verses 19 to 21 concerning that. It says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so as... His readers are understand the Old Testament, understand the prophets' predictions of what would come as the apostles have been telling them how Jesus fulfills these things. He's telling them to remember all of these things. Because there are those who exist would seek to do otherwise. And he reminded them of those things as well. In chapter 3, verse 3, he goes on to say, knowing this first of all, that scoffer will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own desires. All of chapter 2, 2 Peter talked about this, that false prophets were of old, arose among the people, and that false prophets, false teachers would rise among you as well, talking to the church of Asia Minor. That this is something you are going to face just like the church of old would have faced, but do not fear. Because God is in control. And though it seems as if they do not pay for their crimes, now they will pay for their crimes. God is not overlooking their sins. But He is telling them to be on their guard, to be watchful, to be wary of these things that are coming up. But they follow their own sinful desires. He told them in chapter 2 they will follow their sensuality. 
Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The Christ that you follow, people are going to look at it, and they're going to look at these people who are living lives of unrighteousness, thinking that it's the way of Christ, and others will say, He is not God. He is not the Christ. Why would I follow after that when these people are living their lives just like us? And that in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They seek, we talked about all the, the characteristics of false prophets, false teachers, people that are opposed to Christ yet are claiming Christ, that it is about selfish desire, selfish needs, about their wants, not worrying about what the Scripture says, but taking the Scriptures out of context to suit their own desires and their own needs. And it's not very hard to think about how that is working even in our world today. These are people of arrogance. And so in verse 4 of chapter 3, he continues, They will say, Where is the promise of His coming? Where is the promise of His coming? Where is the promise of His coming? Now, at this time, Christ has already been born as we celebrate Christ's birth. He's been born. He's grown up. He started his ministry. He's walked on the earth for 33 and a half years approximately. He was crucified for his alleged crimes, which were none. And he took upon our sin. He who knew no sin took our sin so that we might become the children of God. And so what the scriptures say about Christ, that he would come, that he would live, that he would die, but then on the third day he would rise. And Christ did rise and he appeared to his disciples and he appeared to a crowd of 500 before finally telling them, I must go. I must go and be with my Father so that he can send another, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. But that I will return again. Scripture tells us that Christ will come a second time and this time he is coming as coming King. Righteous Lord, from everlasting to everlasting. And this is what these people are not understanding, that they see around them. Where is the promise of this coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep. Talking about whom the promise was given to. The patriarchs of the Israelites back then. Of what would occur to the people. What would happen? Ever since they fell asleep, things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. We look out into the world in which we live, and things have not changed. Christ said He would come back, but where is He? People are continuing to live their lives the way they want. People are continuing to sinning where they want to sin. People are doing whatever they want, and nothing is happening. They're not being punished. They're not being judged. And so where is Christ? Where is He? Is He really ever coming? And so they ridicule the name of Christ. They think that because He is long-suffering, because of His patience, that they will not have to account for what is to come. But Peter would remind them of this in verse 5. 
For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Peter goes back to the very beginning. He goes back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, that the earth was formed out of water and through water just by the very word of God, where verse 3 would go, and he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. By the very spoken word of God, things came into existence. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. They forget this other fact of which Peter reminded them. He reminded his readers of the fact that God had already judged the world once. And he made the world account for their sins. And we looked at the passage in Genesis where it would say that the Lord was sad that he had created mankind. For they were only about themselves and they went on sinning and sinning and sinning. But Noah found favor with the Lord. But they overlooked this fact. They overlooked the fact that the earth was judged that God declared that a flood would come, and a flood did come. That all men besides Noah and his family were wiped out. And he's reminding them of all these things because he's going to tell them something new in verse 7. If you look there this morning. But by the same word, the same word that created the heavens and the earth, the same word that brought judgment, a worldwide judgment upon the people of earth, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. In Genesis chapter 9, after Noah and his family went in the ark, and the waters were finally subsiding, and God remembered Noah and his family, and they came to the peak of a mountain where they rested after the waters had lowered, and God made a covenant with Noah at that time. And in Genesis 9, he promises that never again will he flood the earth a global worldwide judgment. But Peter here tells us he's not going to do that. And his promise of that was the rainbow in the sky to remind him of his promise with Noah. But Peter says, now they are being stored up for fire. Now they are being stored up for the day of judgment, for the destruction of the ungodly. For the scoffers that claim, where is Christ? Everything continues as it is. Peter would respond to that by giving them this information. God is still there. He still cares. And they will be brought to account. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
verses 5 through 10, Paul tells the Thessalonians this. He says, This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To the scoffers, to those that would claim that God does not exist, that even if he does, he does not care what's going on because he is not judging, he is not taking into account what people are doing, people are living their lives the way they want. Peter's response would say, that is not the case. That is not the case, and this is why. The character of God has not changed. God demands righteousness. God demands holiness. And because of that fact, God will demand judgment. But he reminds his readers of this fact. He says, and this is the good news here. This is the good news of God. Because what you have here is God who is righteous, who is holy, who demands perfection out of us, has every right to condemn us all because of our sin. He has every right so that every human being would perish. And yet his word tells us that he has not done this, but that he has showed us mercy and grace, and that has come through his son Jesus Christ. So Paul or Peter reminds them of God's character. Do not overlook this one fact in verse 8, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. What does this tell us about God? That obviously God is not like us. Time as we know it, as we think that our, our lives, I mean for us to live a hundred years is a long life. A good life. And yet here it says to God, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. To him time is irrelevant. He exists outside of the construct of time. As the creator, he is the one who has instituted that. He is above that. And so in our measly minds of thinking about this delay of Christ, of Christ not coming to God who is outside the construct of time, if you were to take this literally, and I don't believe it is literal, but to take it literal, I think it tells us something about God, but if you were to even look at it as literal, as a thousand 
years as one day. Christ came 2,000 odd years ago. It's only two days in his mind. And I don't take it as literal, but if you think of what Peter is telling them, God is outside of that. So time is not looked at in the same way that we look at time. And obviously when you read the story of uh, the accounts given of Adam and Eve and all of their children after them, if you were to read through it, you have all of these things where it says Adam lived this many years and then his sons lived this many years and their sons lived this many years and this many years and this many years and ranging from 900 some years and down. And now we only have about 100 years or so of a time, but God is outside of that. And so while we look at it as 2,000 years have passed since his first advent, this is a long time. To God, it's but a glimpse. And Peter goes on to tell them, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Talking about those who are asking the question, where is the promise of his coming? He is not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Right there, the good news. The delay of Christ's coming is good news to us because it means there is time left for those who do not yet know Christ, who have not come to faith in Him as their Savior and Redeemer, they can still be saved. There is yet time for your family members. There is yet time for some of your children. There are time for your relatives. There is time for your neighbors. There is time for somebody that you meet just today who doesn't know Christ to come to the saving knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done on their behalf. God does not wish that any should perish. Ezekiel chapter 33 in verse 11, the Israelites are against God. They're claiming He's not just, He's not righteous, He's not taking into account sins, He's not providing judgment, He's not doing certain things that they think He should do. And He tells Ezekiel to declare this to the Israelites. He says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? The Lord takes no pleasure in the fact that people die apart from him. That people are, as Paul explains in Thessalonians, will suffer the eternal consequence of separation from him, of separation from his glorious might. His glorious life. Very familiar passage that many of you might know is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And a lot of us grow up 
if you've grown up in the church, you teach your kids this verse, but the verses that come after are very important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Christ didn't come to pronounce this great condemnation on all those who would say, I don't believe in you. I don't believe you came to save my sins. Go away. I want nothing to do with you. He didn't come to condemn them to say, well, you're going to hell if you don't believe in me. But he came so that the world might be saved through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's not because Christ came and condemned them. They were condemned no matter what. All of us, prior to coming to saving faith in Christ, were already condemned because we broke the law of God. They are condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And John tells us is our hearts, as Jeremiah said, above all are deceitful. We love our sin. We love selfishness. And it takes God coming as a baby, fulfilling the promise to the old prophets of old, fulfilling what was told to them of what would come, that one would come with power and might who would take away the sins of the world, who would be the ultimate sacrifice so that they no longer have to sacrifice, but that he would fulfill all of the law that they could not. And that belief in him would rescue you. And as Peter said in chapter 1, that rescuing changes us, changes our lives, changes our hearts. To want to follow after God, to want to tell others about His goodness. And so the fact that Christ has not come yet, the fact that he is delaying his final coming should be good news to us. It should be good news to them, to those that are scoffing. There is yet time for you scoffers. The Lord is not slow to fulfill and he provides them with more instruction. But in verse 10 of chapter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. I know there are some of you out there uh, that have had things stolen from you. 
Uh, I myself, I have a, a property here in Wilkes-Barre and uh, been broken into twice now and things that are stolen. And it takes you off guard. You either wake up in the morning or you go to your house after being away and you come back. The door might be broken. Things inside might be disheveled. Valuables are missing. You're caught unaware. You're caught off guard. There's no prepping for it. There's no warning. And Peter likens that to when God is going to come back, to when Christ is going to come back. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 36. Jesus is speaking of things yet to come, speaking to the apostles, speaking to the crowds of things that are yet to come, speaking to us because these things have yet to occur as well. In verse 36 of Matthew 24, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Everybody wants to know, Christ, when are you coming back? When? When are the things that you're telling us going to happen? When are you going to take your throne? That's what was in the minds of the apostles, the disciples, as they're walking with Jesus. Jesus, we want you to be powerful and mighty. Overthrow the Romans. Overthrow the oppression that we have suffered. And yet Christ wasn't like that when he first came. He came as a humble baby. He came just like us. He came to heal he came to be the light, not in a show of strength and power as the world would consider strength and power, but to come in strength and power of God that only he can do. No one knows that day and hour, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus himself says the Father has reserved that knowledge for himself. I can't even tell you. I do not know. I obey my Father. And he says, For as in those days before the flood, going back to the worldwide judgment, knowing that there will be judgment when he comes back, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. People were going about their day, about their daily business, not worrying about what was coming next. They were enjoying one another. People were celebrating people who were getting married. They were having festive times. Some were probably mourning the death of others. Business was as usual. Just like the scoffers were saying, things have just continued to happen as they have always happened. There is no major change, and yet 
in the days of Noah, the people did the same thing, and yet they were swept away unawares. And as Peter told them, he will come like a thief in the night. The coming of the Son of Man the second time will be the same way. If you flip to chapter 25 of Matthew, Verse 31. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Skip down to 41. And he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Christ, in talking about the final judgment, is talking about those who were following after him, who knew him, whose his righteousness covered their sins, and those whose his righteousness did not cover that the sheep were men and women and children whose lives were changed and affected and they were becoming more like Christ and they were helping by being obedient to the commands of Christ, helping the poor, helping the sick, helping the lame, feeding others. He tells them the verses that we didn't read, you gave me drink, you gave me food, you gave me clothes. Like, we didn't do that. We didn't see you, Jesus. Well, you did it for my people. You did it for those whom I have created. And the others, they said, you were more concerned with yourself rather than others. They forgot who Christ is, what his commands were. When asked about what the greatest command is, Jesus would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart mind, body, and soul, and the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets are summed up by these two commands. What it's saying is uh, the Ten Commandments uh, that give us God's law that he gave to Moses for the people. You have how to act towards God, how to act towards others. But you can't do that apart from Christ, because apart from Christ, self is what's most important to us. It takes him radically altering our lives. Go back to Second Peter chapter 3. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. 
all that we know, the things that we consider to just continue on as normal, as daily, everyday occurrences, the things when Christ comes, all that's going to end. We're going to be caught unawares. People are going to be caught unawares. But Peter's going to remind them of what they can do because of this. But they don't have to suffer on the day of judgment when God comes, when Christ comes a second time. Revelation chapter 21 gives us a glimpse into what it is. Just like 2 Thessalonians, as Paul was telling the Thessalonians what was going on. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11, Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. John is given a glimpse into what is going to happen at the end of the world. When Christ would come back, when judgment would fall. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, John recounts what he has saw. He said, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The judgment of God is real. Only those whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life, who, as Peter started this book out with saying, those who have obtained equal standing with us by the righteousness of Christ. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life this morning? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Peter would remind his readers, for those who have those things, those who he is warning to keep guard, keep wary. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, heavenly bodies are going to be burned up. The earth is going to be no more. Everything is going to be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, everything that we know and understand is going to be gone. What sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter ties all of this up neatly to say, after I have, after reading all of these things, after hearing everything that I have written to you, 
in this epistle, in this letter to you. After knowing what is going to happen to the earth and the world, what is going to happen to the scoffers, what is going to happen to the false prophets and the false teachers, what kind of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? In his first letter to these churches in Asia Minor, he would tell them this. If you flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1, he began by telling them this in his first epistle, and he writes to them the second time to remind them of these things. But in his first epistle to them, telling them again in the beginning of chapter 1 of the birth that is given to them, the rebirth that is given in Christ Jesus, that this is what he has called you to be. So starting in verse 13. After coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he tells them this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He reminded them of that in the first chapter of his second epistle. You have been saved from the corruption of the world. But as he, has, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I shared a story last time of R.C. Sprawl who passed away in telling them that people asking questions of God's severe judgment of his severe punishment punishment it could be so much worse but the thing is we don't understand his holiness we don't understand god but he reveals it to us through his word it's revealed through his son the life that he lived those who have ears to hear let them hear what sort of people ought you to be like Ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. Knowing this information should draw us closer to Christ. Should be drawing us closer to God as we continue on our daily lives. As we continue to walk this earth. As we are continued to be blessed with length of days. As we continue to be blessed. What are we doing with those days that we have been given? Are we living our lives for ourselves or are we living our lives for Christ? Are we trying to be more like Him? And obviously we can't do that without Him. And that's why Peter had reminded them in the second epistle of telling them, you get to be partakers of that divine nature because it exists within you because you have been given the righteousness of God. And because you have the righteousness of Christ applied to your life, who lived a perfect life, He has given you the Holy Spirit in you to be a guide, to be a comforter, to be one that as you read the Scriptures, you gain understanding. So one, as you're walking down the street, may lead you to say something to somebody you normally wouldn't talk to. That in your workplace is to be more bold in speaking the truth in love to those that are perishing. He has given you those things, and that's why Peter would tell them, because you have been saved from your sinful desires, and you have been called to holiness, 
just as God is holy, that you would put these things on your faith, that you would supplement your faith with virtue. In verse 5 of the first chapter of Second Peter, supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. The attributes of God, the things that are seen in the character of Christ as he walked this earth. Peter is asking, are you being that sort of people? Are you waiting and hastening for the coming day of God? Do not be caught off guard, but live your life as if he may be coming tomorrow, in the next hour, in the next minute. Because when you have that kind of mindset that Christ can return at any time, it focuses you more on others rather than self. We don't know when he's going to come back. But God, find us faithful when you do. Find us doing the things that you have commanded in your word. And it reminds them of the promise. That even though everything that we see here is going to pass and fade away, there has been given Another promise that we are waiting for. A new heavens in verse 13 and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Not the current one we live in where sin is running rampant. Where it mars the creation of God. In Revelation again chapter 21, John would see this. Revelation 21. Starting in verse 1, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, John tells them, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is a celebration. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed. Way. Peter is reminding them believe in the word of God from the old from the prophets of old and the things that Christ has revealed to us and the things that the Spirit is speaking to us. Because God's word will come to pass exactly as he said it. Just as he spoke into existence everything, these things will come to pass. Just as we have been given life in him, these things will come to pass. Just as he has judged the world once before, these things will come to pass. Where will you be? 
this morning as we're celebrating the birth of Christ, have you placed your life in his hands? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word from Peter. We thank you that as, as he wrote to the churches of Asia Minor here, these different churches, that he is giving them this instruction and this knowledge, stirring them up by way of reminder, but not just for them, but for us also. When your word says the scoffers come, things are continuing as they have always continued since the Father fell asleep. Father, we still live in those same times. We still see the same things occur, and we still see people who are blaspheming your name, who are using you as a way to gain riches, who are leading many people astray, who are taking advantage of the flock. We see people with no disregard for who you are. We see people who continue to live their life the way they want. Not wanting to see the truth that there is a God, there is a creator, and there will be a judgment one day. But thinking, I'm fine. Nothing has happened to me. Father, your word shall come to pass does not return to you void and for that we are thankful we are thankful this morning that as peter says you are patient and long suffering with us that yet while we all deserve your wrath and your condemnation you give us your mercy and your grace found in your son jesus christ and so if there are any here this morning who have not yet claimed your son as their Lord and Savior, who have believed in the things that he has done for them. Father, I pray that your spirit would convict their hearts this morning. I pray that those that are here this morning who have heard these things and yet have continued on in their own ways and their own desires, that the spirit would convict them and bring them back. That you would humble your people before you. That we would not be like the Israelites and forget what you have done until we are in a time of crisis and calamity to call out upon you. But that you would find us faithful before you, being obedient to your commands because of the great love that you have shown us. Remind us of those things continually, Father, this morning. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're going to be celebrating uh, the birth of Christ. The lone candle in the middle up here represents the light of Christ. And so if you do not have a candle this morning, feel free to get one from the back. But we're celebrating the life, the first advent of Christ. Christ coming as a humble baby, knowing that what was to transpire, that he would be born, that he would live his life, that he would be 
ridiculed, that he would be rejected, that he would be bruised and battered, but that he would be doing all of these things to be obedient to the Father because of his love for his creation to bring us back into fellowship with him. To, even as John mentioned in Revelation chapter 21, the new heavens and the new earth, God will dwell with us. Just as he dwelt with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we'll be among them, be able to talk with him, be able to enjoy him forever. Listen to these words of the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus has done all of this for us. Let us celebrate this morning as we light the Christ candle.